This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Welcome to React Roundup this week. We have Tanmay Gobal from Hasoda, and I'm your host, Sia Caramelagos, and I live in New Orleans, and we also have Nader Dabit as our other host. Hello, from Mississippi today. Hi, this is Tanmay. I'm in San Francisco. So Tanmay, tell us more about yourself and Hasoda. Um, I'm the founder at Hasoda. Uh, we've been... Um, We've been kind of been building this GraphQL tooling uh, to accelerate uh, being able to use GraphQL for app developers. Um, I have actually been building applications for um, about a decade now um, on a variety of stacks. I think over the last few years, especially, my focus has been on um, you know, functional programming kind of uh, uh, functional programming practices and um, also on the cloud side of things and Kubernetes and Docker. And so there's a lot of work that I do and that uh, that we do at Hasura in the Kubernetes and Docker space. Uh, I think um, my journey with React started also pretty early. Uh, I think like a few years ago, around the time it was just becoming popular. And um, I think I think one of those big moments was I, I'm I'm one of those people who was I think using React when Flux was around. So I don't remember if you know a library called Flumux. Um, so I used to use Flux and Flumux, and it was a nightmare. And at the time, there's something that called <laughs> Elm that came out, and Elm was amazing because you know most of our backend stuff is in Haskell. And um, and then we looked at Elm and it was so exciting. And then we were like, oh, but it's but it's not Haskell. We can't use Elm. I don't know if it'll play along well with JavaScript libraries. It does, but you know you had that kind of hesitation. And then Dan Abramov uh, kind of like dropped the bomb with Redux. Uh, and it was and I think that's that's when we kind of got into React proper. Uh, and then we kind of moved everything that we had in the front end to React plus Redux. Uh, but uh, yeah, there and. Many years in that ecosystem, and then today here we are with um, doing some GraphQL stuff as well. So, how long has Hasura been around? Um, I think uh, we've been uh, slightly. We're just about to finish a year as Hasura um, as a technology, but um, a, quite a few members of the Hasura team, as it is today, um, we've been kind of been working together for a while on on different technologies. Um, we used to work together on a company before this as well, uh, where we were building products for people, doing consulting for. Uh, for enterprises, helping them move their monoliths to microservices, uh, stuff like that. What inspired you to start Hasoda? Um, well, honestly, it was just like we were we were building things and we were helping other people build things, and then we realized this can be easier. Why is this? Why is this so painful? Uh, and uh, and when we said that this can be easier, there were kind of a few pieces of technology that we were building out, and I think the most exciting piece or the piece that has the most amount of value is to say. Um, what if we can remove that layer in the middle where you kind of have to write this irritating backend code, which is which is doing nothing but really just talking to the database and making the database more accessible for application developers? What if we can what if we can automate like that process? Because because you can't really take the database away, right? Like you know the business is in the database. Like the database is something that will make or break your application. That will be the bottleneck eventually. Um, that is so you have to manage the database, so you have to outsource the management of the database, and you also have to build the app, which is you know your front end and your business. That's that's your application. That's that users see um, your product or your business. Um, but this piece in the middle that just seems irritating, like you know, a little most of the times. Like there is there is 
there is necessity but there's also like a little bit of irritation and kind of like just setting up that access to the database uh, kind of work that needs to be done and so that's where we kind of built this piece that that says hey you know what you get instant graphql on postgres um and it's super high performance and uh, and i mean and we take a very different approach to doing this but um but that's kind of that's kind of the genesis of how this started and and that's how this graphql piece on postgres came to be so um can you kind of give the elevator pitch of Has- of hasura i know you mentioned quite a bit Absolutely. about it already um but i like if you were just to to meet someone and they were interested in it and you wanted to kind of give them the quick spiel about it can you can you kind of like go over that um before we go in too deep okay absolutely so hasura gives you instant graphql apis for your apps on top of a postgres database so it can be an existing postgres database or it can be a new application that you're building and um you get to use graphql for your from your apps directly so do you offer do you offer like a database as a service or is this just more of like a layer and then they choose wherever they own their own database whether it be like in a cloud service provider or or maybe even locally or something like that um well both so the 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 data layer that we're going to open source soon is going to be just a graphql data layer that you can add in front of your database wherever it is on your cloud or on prem uh or you know kind of wherever you have your managed database but we also have a cloud version which is a hosted offering which comes with the graphql layer and postgres both of which are managed for you so does this um basically look at your postgres um like sql schema and then build the uh graphql schema and endpoint space on that exactly exactly that's uh, that's that's kind of exactly what it does um the the uh, conceptually yes the approach is a little different what it does is um it, it kind of it kind of um it it kind of looks at your existing postgres schema and then you as a developer can say hey you know what these are the tables and these are the views in my database that i would like exposed over um graphql mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then as soon as you specify that metadata this layer is now aware of um this layer now kind of constructs that schema and uh, provides that schema to um applications and and then when a graphql query comes in this layer compiles that graphql query into the right sql and then kind of executes that sql query on the database so it's a little different from resolvers and kind of writing resolvers for a nested kind of a, a graphql query where you have nodes and then you have a nested node and then you kind of making a query instead of that what it does is it takes the entire graphql ast converts that to an sql ast and then actually just runs the sql against the database it's kind of what you would have done uh, by hand right if yeah you, if you wrote your own resolvers yeah. exactly exactly very cool uh, i i think i think one of the it's it's slightly different from writing your own resolvers i think it's kind of more similar to saying that um let's say for example you were you had a you had a graphql query and you were making a graphql query for fetching the profile and for a user profile and within that user profile maybe the user had the 10 different addresses right so i have 10 different addresses because i'm a globe trotter and i live in sf in paris and bangalore and wherever london uh, and then and then when i if i have if you have that kind of a profile where you have this um, graph right what you would do typically is you would write a resolver for the profile node and the resolver for the addresses node as well uh, whereas actually what's happening is that in the database you just have the profile table and the addresses table which are kind of linked together by say a column or by two columns or whatever right um and that's that's already there in your database so what hasura does is it kind of looks at that graphql query and then just compiles that into like the right joined query 
So it's different from writing a resolver because what happens with a resolver is that you end up processing you you end up processing like the top level node and then like the node that is one below it as well. And then you run into what is called the n plus one query problem, and you have to use something like data loader to kind of cache that or prevent repeated access to the database, um, which you would not have had to do if you had written an SQL query that would have fetched from both of the tables simultaneously in the same query, right? Um, and if you could have done that, then you would have avoided that. Then then you would have written that one SQL query. So that's kind of what Hasra is doing. In a sense, it's exactly like what apps do to a backend API, right? Like you say that, you know, instead of using a REST API, use a GraphQL API to query all of the data in one shot. That's exactly what Hasura does to Postgres and says, hey, instead of like requesting for the different pieces of data from, from the database, let me just make one SQL query to fetch all of the data in one shot. Okay, so it's like the API to the... Um to like your user interface or you know wherever you're right. trying to request data from you're writing graphql queries but mm-hmm. the it's written in such a way so that instead of using traditional resolvers it's just mm-hmm. you're building a an efficient sql query to exactly. get everything in one query and so exactly. i guess caching then is on the database for those queries exactly 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 um, and it's and yeah, it's 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 very interesting, especially because when we come from the we come more from like the backend side, and when we're doing this, and when we were working with mm-hmm. well over the last year, it's it's so interesting to see similar patterns and ideas that that were there in the database community, also kind of coming in on the GraphQL community, right? So, for example, if you the idea of query variables um, in GraphQL, so where you have persisted queries and query variables in GraphQL, right? So, for example, what Facebook does. Is when you have um, when you have a Facebook application, the Facebook app is making a request to the Facebook backend. Um, the GraphQL queries you you don't actually send the entire GraphQL query. You actually just send a query ID or a query hash, and along with that, the query variables that are important for that query, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 so so you're kind of minimizing the data that you're sending to the GraphQL backend as as much as possible. And so you're just sending the query ID and you're sending the query variables. Um, and now the backend already knows what to do with this query or has or knows what this query ID refers to and then executes the right GraphQL query. And, and databases have been doing exactly that. So databases like Postgres have been doing exactly that. So Postgres has something called prepared statements, which lets you take an SQL query and say that, hey, this is my SQL query, but there are portions in this SQL query which are variables. And so those are called prepared statements in Postgres uh, and prepared statement variables in Postgres. And, uh, and that kind of makes your query execution super fast because the database already has this query mm-hmm. cached. You know, it can even efficiently catch the results of this query if this query is being repeated often. Um, and so if you think about it, it's super nice because now from the app, you're making this query where literally the only thing that you send from your application is the query ID, the four variables that you need to fetch something from the query. And it kind of just zooms straight into the database. Um, access, you did the right kind of access control and stuff that's built in to make sure that you don't actually just have raw access to the database. And the database also has everything cached right up to the variables, and then you just extract that piece of data out um, and then send that back to the client. So it's a bit like a GraphQL-like ORM in a way. It's kind of, it's kind of, like, a, it's kind of like a GraphQL ORM, but it's, it's like the way we intended this to be was to be more like a GraphQL ORM for apps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's more like a GraphQL ORM for apps. But, um, but speaking of ORMs, you're right. You could also use this as, you know, let's say you're writing um, serverless functions in Lambda, or you're writing, um, you know, you're writing different microservices, and these different microservices need to 
end of talk to the database and you know you don't want to what like, there, there are multiple problems when you're talking to a database right uh, i think i think the top two problems that i've faced um in 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 the applications that i've and that i've worked on are one is that you need to you need to kind of have you need to manage um you need to be aware of of the database um you need to be aware of the database schema uh, you need to be aware of uh, you know how to access the database and stuff like that um and so you need this connection pool that you need to have with the database right because databases don't give you http connections that you can switch off off and on quickly um databases give you persistent connections which are long lived connections so that they so that your data interaction with them is more efficient so that means that every microservice that i write actually needs to have a connection pool with the database and so this makes the scalability of my microservice harder so which is why if you notice um, you see that when you look at aws lambda and you 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 writing serverless code right that needs to talk to the database you won't see too many examples of people trying to use serverless functions that are directly accessing an rds database because what if i have uh, you know what if i have 10000 functions that suddenly get spawned because of 10000 events that came into my system or 10000 api calls that happened um you can't have 10000 connections to the database you can only have 100 connections to the database um and and this this is kind of the problem in with with databases um in these modern kind of applications today and if you've done that with graphql and especially the kind of graphql layer that hasura gives you you now have the ability to talk to your rds almost with the full power of you know just raw sql um but you don't have to run into these problems because that graphql layer which is scalable is given to you by hasura so you don't have to you know worry about hey i have a connection pool with rds or now how do i need to manage that or the access kind of the way i manage access to my rds database that kind of goes into this neat graphql orm layer that you have on top so how does um authorization work and how is that handled yeah that's a that's a super interesting question so i think there are many different approaches to doing this i think if i if you take a look at the community today i think the three tools that um give you graphql on postgres are so you have postgrafile you have hasura and then you have prisma um and i think and i think all of these three tools are on a very interesting spectrum uh, of different use cases so on one side you have postgrafile and what postgrafile says is when we're going to do authorization on we're going to give you a graphql layer on postgres um postgrafile uses so the database itself which is postgres comes with a user and a role system so postgres itself has a notion of users and roles and you can create a postgres role um, that has role level access or field level access to certain elements so i'll just take a simple example if you have a profile table you can say that hey i have postgres users and each postgres user is allowed to access um particular uh, tables uh, allowed to access the profile table only where the user id is equal to the user id that i see in the postgres user system right so that is that is one approach and postgrafile is on that side or that kind of an approach um on the other end is prisma which says hey this is exclusively a graphql orm you can't actually make queries to postgres directly from your front end apps you actually your app makes a query to your graphql backend your graphql backend makes a graphql query to prisma prisma makes that query to postgres right so that way the authorization is done in code in your graphql backend code that you write hasura is somewhere in the middle and what we do is we kind of give you a metadata layer um, that sits at the graphql engine so what you essentially do is you as an application you make a request to the hasura graphql engine hasura basically takes whatever you sent in the request let's say you sent a token let's say you sent a cookie um, you know whatever you sent as headers or um, 
as credentials to Hasra. Hasra will take those credentials and ask the webhook that you provide to convert those credentials into, into what are called principles. So for example, you can say uh, user ID, role ID, organization ID, app ID, right? So you have to return these kind of variables. And now these variables can be used to specify access control rules um, that are automatically injected in the SQL query that you execute on the database. So let me just kind of step back a bit. It was a very long sentence. But if I step back a bit, basically the way this works is I am a user. I want to access my profile information. I should only be able to see my profile data. So I make a query to Hasra GraphQL engine with my token. My token goes to your webhook that you write, and the webhook says user ID equal to two. If I make a GraphQL query that says fetch all the profile data, um, what this extra rule will, you can specify an extra rule for the profile node that says if the profile data is fetched, user ID must be equal to profile.user ID. And now this rule will get injected in that SQL query, which is made to the database automatically. So that's kind of the access control rule that happens there. And then you can, and then when I finally get the response, I'm only seeing the response for my user ID. Um, except it's not just user ID, it's as dynamic as you want it to be. So if it's a multi-tenant kind of SaaS application, it would be organization ID, right? If I'm the admin of my organization, I can see my entire organization's data. So it will be X org ID. Um, it will be like an org ID instead of just a user ID. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. It's interesting um, that I haven't really used Hasura, so I'm not familiar with some of the techniques you're talking about, but they make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I'm curious, you mentioned, I guess, a couple of other, I, I guess, options or, or services that are in the same space. Okay. <clears throat> what would you consider like a competitor to kind of what Hasura is doing in general? I think I think both PostGraphile and Prisma fall in a similar space. Um, so we're all kind of in the same space, and it's a fairly nascent space. So I think uh, everybody's everybody's offerings are going to evolve as the market kind of uses these products and says, "Hey, I want more of these features, or I don't want more of these features." But I think we're all in the same competitive space. Um, I think uh, Hasra's key difference is that it's focused more on helping you work with existing databases as quickly as possible. Um, whereas I think Prisma and PostGraphile are more suited for um, new databases. Well, PostGraphile can still be used with existing databases a little bit, um, but Prisma is especially suited only for um, new databases. Right? Like I have an empty, like I own the database. It's my database on my Amazon, but there's no data in it. I don't have a legacy application on it. Um, whereas Hasura is very squarely focused on making sure that you can get productive on an existing legacy application that is already using Postgres as well. So I think, but but I think we're all in the we're all in the same space. So I'm sure everybody will start like learning from each other and doing similar things. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash roundup. So in this setup, if you needed to access data from other sources as well, besides your Postgres database, like external APIs or um, whatnot, how okay. would you recommend architecting that? I think, um, I, I think that's, that, that, that the short and simple answer is schema stitching. Um, and 
So and are you are you aware of so schema stitching is this idea where you say um, you know I have I have multiple GraphQL services um, that I use on the back end. So let's say for example I have I have GraphQL Microservice One. I'm using Algolia, or I'm using some shipping API, or I'm using a bunch of other third-party APIs. And now I'm, or I'm using GitHub's API, right? And all of these different APIs are also GraphQL services. Um, so, so because because everybody's moving from kind of REST to GraphQL, so it's not just an external data source which is a REST API, but it's an external data source which is a GraphQL API. So then the kind of standard that's emerging, uh, or what people are kind of starting to do when they reach those use cases is that instead of directly talking to the one GraphQL microservice that you were using, which kind of was solving your problems, you then talk to a GraphQL microservice that you write, that you've handwritten. And then this GraphQL microservice can actually stitch together data so different data sources. So for example, one of the most common examples, or simplest examples to understand is, again, going back to the profile use case where I have ID and name and city, let's say. So I have ID, name, and city. And, um, and so it says, OK, uh, Here's the CIA and CIs in London, and this, that's the query that I have, and that's in the database. But I also want to attach weather information to this profile. So this weather information definitely does not live in my database. The weather information comes from a weather API. So now I want to have a user type that has ID name city and weather, right? It's not just ID name city. So what you can do with schema stitching, and this is tooling that uh, Apollo's been putting out, and it's it's been picking up a fair bit of traction. It's a little bit complicated, I think. But it's it's getting easier and easier. So I think the most recent release of schema stitching is absolutely amazing to use. And what this lets you do is say, um, I'm going to extend that user type, and I'm going to create a schema which has user with ID, name, city, and weather. And when this query comes in, the weather portion is something that I'll resolve. Uh, I will write code to resolve that. But the rest of it, I will kind of just delegate to the other microservice that I have in the back, which is the Hasura GraphQL microservice. So all of the logic and the work that is related to your database, including authorization, access control, um, aggregations, views, all of that is kind of delegated to Hasura's GraphQL microservice. And everything else can be done um, at your schema stitching layer. Can you talk about the workflow a little bit? So if someone gets started with Hasura, are they working within their own environment or are they working from within some type of dashboard? So what 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 happens is that let's say as soon as you um, as soon as you want to start working with Hasura and you you basically run Hasura's GraphQL engine as a um, as a Docker container and you can run this you can run this locally um, we'll be we'll be putting out a guide where you can run this on Heroku as well so you can just do a Heroku container push and then you can kind of deploy this container on Heroku which just talks to Heroku Postgres so that's the so that's the workflow for deploying the GraphQL engine. As soon as you deploy the GraphQL engine, we give you like a database admin UI. So you can just, so you have a CLI, the CLI regions to Hasura space console. And as soon as you open up the console, which is like a little dashboard uh, for your database, you, you can basically start um, managing, you know, creating tables, and creating relationships in your tables directly. And that, that's actually just talking to your Postgres database. And you also have a little graphical so that you can start using GraphQL and trying GraphQL out um uh, on on the database that you're creating so that's that's so that's like a little it's it's almost like a php my admin meets graphical so that's kind of what the dashboard looks like um and you can just kind of fire that up locally so if someone wants to also kind of get started with Azura, is there any specific api specific language that they need to learn or is it just do they just write graphql or are there some specific syntax that kind of goes along with Azura? Um, well, I think like Hasura just gives you a GraphQL API, um, and so you can kind of you can use you you can use any client library um, 
any language to kind of connect to those GraphQL APIs. So for example, if you have JavaScript, you would, um, or if you're writing React, you would use something like Apollo or Oracle um, to connect to um, Hasura. If you were writing code in Python or Ruby or um, Java, you have different GraphQL clients that you can use to connect to the GraphQL server. So that's, um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of client language agnostic. And I guess people can use pretty much any GraphQL client to connect uh, mm -hmm. either Urkel yeah. or Apollo or whatever. Correct, correct. We don't support Relay yet because Relay has a slightly more custom spec. Um, but yeah, we'll, we're kind of figuring out if how we kind of go in that Relay direction soon, but not yet. So the best way to learn how to use it is, I guess, to go to your, your website. You have docs Absolutely. on the API. Yep, 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 yep. Just click on Get Started. And, um, it, and in fact, if you're looking at getting started super fast, then we have we kind of host everything for you so that you don't have to deploy um, Postgres and GraphQL yourself. Um, so that's the experience that you'll see today on the website if you just click on Get Started and kind of head there and then start, uh, start using us for that. So um, tell me more about your logo. Is there a story behind it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Asura in Hindi is demon. Uh, mm. And um, I, think, I think we were punning on um, uh, Unix demons and FreeBSD demons. Demons are uh, background processes or servers. Um, like servers are demons, web servers are demons. So demons, D-A-E-M-O-N-S, right? And these are like background, these are services that run in the background um, that kind of give you an API or talk over the network, right? Uh, and so that was a pun. And then most of our backend code uh, that we that we have written our server in is Haskell. And so that's where the H comes from. And that's why there's a little Lambda that we use everywhere. Um, and so it, so it was Hasura was born. I mean, yeah, that's the that's the official story. The <laughs> the unofficial story is that a bunch of us were in a car, and one 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 of our colleagues said, "Hey, we should have Asura in the name. Demons are cool." Um, and then the other colleague said, "Yeah, we can do Hasura because of Haskell." And that's it. That's really it. It was it was a it was forty five seconds. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of curious. You're betting a lot on the GraphQL technology or the specification, I guess you'd say. Do you feel like um, we're going to see a lot of growth in the GraphQL community over the next few years? Like, are you seeing a lot of people picking GraphQL up over REST? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be huge. Um, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be very game changing for, for several reasons. Uh, one of the things that's been very surprising to us is that we've received so much interest from, um, from enterprise folks, folks that you don't traditionally associate with you know, being like on the cutting edge of technology and using the latest tools. Um, and like architects and VPs from these enterprises are coming to us and saying, hey, we have, you know, like we want to use GraphQL. And so we ask them why. And they say, because we're building things that take six months and we want to reduce the time to three months. And it seems like GraphQL will help us do that because GraphQL doesn't actually solve a technical problem. GraphQL actually solves a politics problem, right? Um, and that's something that's very interesting um, to kind of to, to step back and take a look at because if you if you think about it, uh, what you do with GraphQL, which, which people think is exciting, that you know, hey, I can I can query whatever data I want, and that's amazing, right? But you could have done that on a, not a REST API, but you could have done that on a JSON API as well, right? You could have created your own query language in JSON. Um, if if you're familiar with Mongo, Mongo lets you query its data in like a JavaScript object or in JSON, right? Where you can say, this is the, I want to make a select query on this table. These are the columns that I want. This is how I want to filter it. And that entire query language actually is represented as a JavaScript object or, or, or and can be serialized to JSON. 
right? So there's nothing stopping you from actually implementing that kind of data efficiency that GraphQL gives you in your own language, right? Um, but but that isn't what, but that's not what makes GraphQL uh, an absolutely killer thing for teams that are building applications. What makes it an absolutely killer thing is that the GraphQL server says that it is mandatory for you, if you are the backend developer and I'm the frontend developer, you must build a server that not only gives me APIs, but also serves the documentation and the schema of what is a valid API call within the server itself. And this is amazing. This is amazing for me as an app developer because now I never need to talk to you to figure out whether the documentation is right. Um, I don't need to wait for you to create endpoints. Um, I just take a look at the schema and this schema represents the, the space of all possible queries that I can ever make with the backend. And I just go ahead and make those queries, right? So this business of you building an endpoint um, where you say, hey, you know what, like this is the, these are the five things that you have. And then these are the three things that you should, that these are the five input parameters. These are three output parameters. Um, if you if you build your own API that is as flexible as GraphQL, you'll realize that what is missing is documentation. And then I'll have, I won't have clients. I won't have client side tooling. I won't, there will be, there will be nothing else to help me use this custom query language that you've created. So if, if it's REST, I don't have flexibility. If you don't do REST and you build your own query language in JSON or with query params. And so there was a very interesting hacker news thread where somebody from, I think, I think was it Shopify or, or somebody else said that, hey, you know, we do this as well. We give you the same flexibility as GraphQL does um, for in the internal applications that we build, but you kind of specify what data you want as query parameters. So I say I want the profile, but I only want ID and name. Uh, which is similar to GraphQL saying that I only want ID and name and not the 10 other columns. So if you do this middle path of saying, I, I'll build my own flexible query language API endpoint, that's great for from the data efficiency point of view, uh, but really horrible from a maintainability point of view. Like I don't know what spec that is. That's an API that you've written. Only you know how to maintain that API. If you move on from the team or that team moves on, nobody else will know how to deal with that query language. There's no client-side tooling for that query language, right? And, and hence, if you take that to completion, GraphQL is a spec. It's a specification for saying, here's how you build your own query language. And, and it's mandatory that you serve the schema of that query language as a part of your server. And as soon as, and, and that was incredible, and that was an incredible idea to say that the server must also serve the schema as a part of the server. And when the server starts doing that, it becomes possible for the clients to take on a lot of control. It becomes possible for the clients to validate their queries before actually running their apps, because usually when you're building an app, it's it's a it's a kind of bit of a hope and prayer, right? Like you're like, oh, okay, the documentation, I hope it's correct. Let me just make this API call, and then you never till you actually make the that the documentation is correct because these systems are just completely decoupled. But now what you can do is and tooling. You have tooling for VS Code and you have tooling for all of your IDs. Where as you write the API and as you write the API query. You'll get red underlines if you make a typo. You'll get a red underline if it says, hey, this thing is not a part of your schema. Like I mistyped user and I typed it as user A or USRE. That tooling becomes possible for clients, right? And and this is this is game changing, right? It's it's really not the tech that is game changing. It's this idea of this decoupling and making the backend and front end team independent um, to to such a degree that it's that communication is only necessary where you know the actual underlying data models change. Um, or, or you're adding more features to your application that needs more data sources. Um, only in that case is there actual communication between the two teams. But otherwise, 
is we're just independent teams um, and we can kind of work together and um, we can work together without actually having to talk to each other uh, as quickly as possible and this is the reason why it's such a it's such a game changer and what i've started asking people nowadays and i haven't i have i don't have enough data to actually understand this is that i ask people and i say let's say you have all of your rest apis and let's say you just convert them to graphql you, you don't even do the graph portion of it you just convert it to graphql like every rest endpoint is one graphql query right it's not even it's not even smart it doesn't actually do like a it doesn't link different pieces of data together but it just gives you documentation would you do this because this is something that you can do in 10 minutes this is the automated tooling for doing that for converting your rest apis to graphql would you add this to your backend project um just so that your front end developers don't need documentation anymore right and i think and and my gut feeling is that people will kind of start doing that um, you never know but i think people will kind of moving start moving to that into that direction because um, because this solves a very real problem right so are you seeing front end developers kind of take over uh, another form of development that they haven't in the past where they kind of go one level up the stack in in, the, in a graphql environment where they're actually appending and updating and manipulating the schema and resolvers in order to get more functionality from their APIs? And is that kind of um, something that you're seeing or is that is that not actually happening? It's it's just a kind of a general I think, question. Um, I think, I think, I think you, you don't even need to look at GraphQL to understand the trend, right? I think if you step back and look at Parse and Firebase um, and, and the rise of why these tools became so popular with developers, it's because developers wanted to move up stack, right? Um, it's because developers wanted to be able to say, hey, I I need to specify what I want to read and write on the backend. And I just want control of being able to do that in a way that's performant and secure and whatnot, right? Um, and those are kind of the precursors to to this. And now you have like GraphQL backends as a service like Hasura or, or GraphQL or Scaffold or AppSync, um, which kind of give front-end developers that same experience. So there is definitely this trend for application developers to take on more control. Um, and, and, and that that has seen a lot of tooling on the kind of like the startup or the, you know, I'm, I'm prototyping an app quickly to see uh, or to validate this idea at that stage. But when you look at it from the other end, which is, is like people who already have like legacy applications or have large teams and they're like building complicated applications for like businesses that have millions of users, right? Um, in those cases, it's a little harder to do to hand this control off, it's not easy. It's not easy to to give control to the front end developers to say, sure, just go in and build whatever schema you want, and we'll let you carry that, right? That it's not it's not easy because of a control and security problem, um, which you need to really worry about when you when you're handling like information for millions of users, um, and and a performance problem, which is that you need to like front like the application developer might end up doing something that works for the demo and the dev and QA, but then just suddenly fails massively on prod, right? So so there is a that's the reason why it kind of doesn't happen amongst other reasons. That's one of the one of the big reasons why it doesn't happen and why you don't hand off that much control. But that said, there is an increasing desire to give control to the application developer in a in a way that is easy to handle. And I had a very interesting conversation with uh, with the developers at Twitter who are very proud of the fact that now if you look at, if you go to your Twitter profile and you um, and you click on your profile and I think you, you, you can switch notifications off and on, but there's a toggle feature on that profile button, right? And, and the development experience for that, that one feature 
was entirely front-end application developer-led. There was no back-end code that was written for, for doing that. So it, had, it went through the process and the checks and balances, but the, the writing of the code and the specification of how it had to be done uh, could kind of be done only by the application developers. So the trend is there, but like I think the tooling and the process is still evolving to, to kind of validate that trend. So I think you're spot on with that, um, that description just gave. That's kind of the same thing that I've been seeing a lot of. Um, I think what we're seeing is how serverless kind of revolutionized how a lot of backend development was done and processes and kind of helped, I guess, make more efficient the backend development processes, I guess. And even some of the, um, I guess, way that a lot of the teams have been organized have been changed because of the serverless movement. I think what we're seeing next is going to be um, one level up from that into, thing, into tools like, um, like Hasura and like, uh, like you mentioned, AppSync and, and these types of things like Firebase and so on and so forth, um, where we no longer have to, as front-end developers, spend uh, a day or a week or a month even waiting for tickets to go through our backend for new exactly. endpoints. Like, you know, exactly. this is just... Uh, just that's where I see the revolution happening is that's kind of why I see this is such a big deal. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that's going to be, that's, it's going to be crazy. Right. I think, um, and it's, it's actually amazing because it's exactly like you said, like if you look at backend work, which is getting simplified with a serverless movement um, and with, with things like, so, so on, on the ops side, there's Kubernetes that's making stuff easier on the backend developer side, there's stuff like serverless that's making it easier. Um, and on the front end side, you have GraphQL that's making this easier. And, and like we're kind of like entering this golden age of development where like you, you're maybe going to get to a place where it's going to be possible for one developer to build an application that will scale to millions of users um, within a few weeks, right? And, um, and that kind of power, I think, um, it, within for existing applications and for new applications is going to be, um, is going to be revolutionary. So um, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of go over that we haven't really discussed before we start wrapping up and getting to picks? Um, no, I think, uh, I, think, uh, I think this kind of uh, is, 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 uh, is a good overview. Um, I, I, think, um, I think like you like your folks mentioned, I think the podcast will actually go out a little later, but we're going to be releasing this as an open source thing um, that, that you can deploy uh, where, that you can deploy on your own infra, which is going to be super exciting for us. And that should happen. Uh, June third week. So, um, yeah. Well, cool. Um, so why don't we go ahead and do our picks then? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat 
and enter dev chat in the how did you hear about us section. I guess I'll talk about mine. This week, I am playing with Gatsby JS. Uh, I don't know why I've never played with it before. So I'm rebuilding our company website on it. Um, it's fun. It's a little black boxy. I'm not used to that. I'm used to being able to fiddle with all the things. Um, but yeah, it's uh, nice to get all that performance out of the box. Yeah. Oh, and if you don't, you- it's a static site generator for React. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, I was asking, um, are you using Gatsby v2 or is it is it v, v1? Is, it, is, is Gatsby v2 out? I don't know. I think it is v1. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Gatsby v2 is supposed to be even faster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nader, what's your pick for the week? So um, my pick is the workshop that we'll be giving at the React Native EU conference in Poland in September. It's building cloud-enabled React Native applications with AWS Amplify. And we're going to be basically demoing how to build um, React Native like serverless apps um, using things like GraphQL that we just talked about, but also conversational bots, authorization, um, S3 storage, just a lot of different things that you normally need around a application. So um, we'll be tooling, well, the tooling we'll be using is AWS um, Amplify. And um, really looking forward to that. Also the React Native EU conference in general in Poland, um, even if you're not located in, in Europe or Middle East or Asia, if, if you're in the United States, it's a really cool conference because um, Poland is really an inexpensive place to go visit. And there's a lot of history around there. Um, I'm hoping to visit some World War II stuff th- this year. So um, I hope that you're interested in, in, or if you're interested in going, I hope that you check it out and, and come out and hang out with us over there. Tanmai, do you have any picks for the week? Um, well, I've been working with uh, embedding graphical in Sphinx. Uh, so Sphinx is a documentation generator. Uh, so you can generate documentation for, uh, you know, whatever you're, like whatever tool you're building or whatever you're writing. And if the tool that you're building uses Graph- GraphQL, it's nice to have like an embeddable graphical API explorer inside your do- documentation. And so uh, I'm kind of working on building this tool that will let you embed graphical inside your Sphinx docs. Cool. Well, I think that's a wrap on React Roundup this week. I want to thank our guest, Tanmay Gopal from Hasaruda from jo- for joining us. And I also want to thank you for listening. So be sure to check us out next week too. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. <laughs>